0: Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International.
1: Shalom, I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject. He break Bible Prophecy. This is part 11 of the series. And so let's look at the Israel and Egypt Peace Treaty of 1979 that was signed at Camp David under the leadership of President Jimmy Carter of the United States and Egyptian President Anwar Sadat, convinced of the urgent necessity of the establishment of a just, comprehensive, and lasting peace in the Middle East in accordance with Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338, noting that the aforementioned framework, as appropriately, is intended to constitute a basis for peace not only between Egypt and Israel, but also between Israel and each of its other Arab neighbors, which is prepared to negotiate peace, with it on this basis. We have now September the 9th, 1993 a letter from Yasser Arafat to Prime Minister Rabin of Israel. The letter reads Mr. Prime Minister, I would like to confirm the following PLO commitments. The PLO recognizes the right of the State of Israel to exist in peace and security and the PLO accepts UN Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338. You see, the United States wasn't concerned that Yasser Arafat is a terrorist they're not concerned about his actions and what he was doing the only thing that they're concerned about is he agrees to UN Resolution 242 and 338 because that's affirming the new world order system that's affirming the authority of the United Nations in view of the promise of a new era in the signing of the Declaration of Principles based on Palestinian acceptance of Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338 the PLO affirms that those articles of the Palestinian Covenant, which deny Israel's right to exist. You see, is the United States going to be concerned about whether Yasser Arafat actually changed the Palestinian Covenant and says that Israel has a right to exist? No, all they care about is there's a piece of paper signed that says you will abide by UN Resolution 242 and 338 because they're looking after the interests of the New World Order and promoting the power of the United Nations. So there was a letter that was returned from Prime Minister. Minister Rabin to Yasser Arafat, also dated September the 9th, 1993, which says, In response to your letter, September the 9th, 1993, I wish to confirm to you that in light of the PLO commitment included in your letter, the government of Israel has decided to recognize the PLO as the representative of the Palestinian people and to commence negotiations with the PLO within the Middle East peace process. So this came and resulted in a declaration of principles of interim self-government arrangements or are also known as Oslo 1, September the 13th, 1993. And so it goes on to say that the government of the State of Israel and the PLO team representing the Palestinian people agree, and the two sides agree to the following principles, that the aim of the negotiations within the current Middle East peace process is among other things to establish a Palestinian interim self-government authority leading to a permanent settlement based on Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338. It is understood, it is understood that the interim arrangements are an integral part of the whole peace process and that the negotiations on a permanent status will lead to the implementation of Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338. It's understood that that it will lead to the implementation of those Security Council Resolutions. And so ultimately, Israel making this peace, they are in Essence granting a PLO state and a return to the 67 borders. But politically, it's been hard to do without revealing the hand of these world planners. And so they've let it drag out since 1993 and even back to 1979 to the present day because they want to politically accomplish it. And so it looks like it's there was negotiations and it be done in such a way that the people in Israel and the Jews in the United States won't rebel against it. That's why they haven't twisted the arms of Israel in an overt way and forced them to abide by these UN resolutions. But that day is at hand where the nations of the world is going to tell Israel, now you are going to create that PLO state. You are going to return to the 67 borders in accordance to UN resolutions 242 2, and 338, which you've already signed and said that you would. Now do it. We had a peace treaty between Israel and Jordan October the 26, 1994 which reads the government of the state of Israel and the government of the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan bearing in mind the Washington Declaration signed by them the 25th of July 1994 affirming at the achievement of a just lasting and comprehensive peace in the Middle East based upon Security Council Resolutions 242 and 338 and all its aspects. So this leads to UN Security Council Resolution 1397 which is passed on March the 12th 2002 this resolution says the Following. The Security Council, recalling all of its previous relevant resolutions, in particular UN Resolution 242, passed in 1967, and 338, 1993, affirming a vision of a region where two states, Israel and Palestine, live side by side with secure and recognized border. A peace and security agreement based upon UN resolutions and the establishment of a PLO state. Now, if you've been following the news, you will see that the current Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Olmert, is saying he's willing to negotiate with Mahmoud Abbas and the PLO regarding the Saudi Peace Initiative. And he's willing to negotiate and implement it and accept it. So let's look at the Saudi Peace Initiative of March the 28th, 2002. What we will see in the Saudi Peace Initiative, it wasn't their peace initiative. It was the initiative of the United States to advance the agenda of the United Nations. But it was given the name of the Saudis to make it look like their idea. But it's it's been what the United States has been promoting clear back to the Camp David Accords and the peace agreement that was made between Israel and Egypt. The Beirut Declaration on Saudi Peace Initiative, March the 28, 2002. Following is an official translation of the full text of the Saudi-inspired peace plan adopted by an Arab summit in Beirut on Thursday. Having listened to the statement made by His Royal Highness Prince Abdullah bin Abu Aziz crown prince of the kingdom of saudi arabia in which his highness presented his an initiative calling for full israeli withdrawal from all the arab territories occupied since june of 1967 in implementation of security council resolutions 242 and 338 reaffirmed by the madrid conference of 1991 called by president bush the father and the land for peace principle peace and security and israel's acceptance of an independent palestinian state with east jerusalem as its capital in return for the establishment establishment of normal relations in the context of a comprehensive peace with Israel. You see what has just been stated right there that I read? That is what the United States is seeking to achieve. That's what the Arabs has agreed to. So really from the perspective of what the United States is seeking to achieve and to make sure the peace process is in accordance with UN resolutions and the acceptance of UN resolutions, it's the Arab world who's already accepted it. It's Israel that hasn't formally yet accepted it in seeking to implement it, even though they signed the paper and said that they do accept it. That's why pressure is being placed upon Israel. The Beirut Declaration goes on to say that there will be a full Israeli withdrawal from all the territories occupied since 1967, including the Syrian Golan Heights to the June 4, 67 lines, as well as the remaining occupied Lebanese territories in the south of Lebanon. Achievement of a just solution to the Palestinian refugee problem to be agreed upon in accordance with UN General Assembly Resolution 194 and the acceptance of an establishment of a sovereign independent Palestinian state on Palestinian territories occupied since June the 4th, 1967 in the West Bank and Gaza Strip with East Jerusalem as its capital. Then in 2003, what we have, what is known as the roadmap. You see, often President Bush is referring to the roadmap. Well, what does the roadmap say? It's a plan to implement UN Resolutions 242 and 338. The U.S. State Department on April the 30th of 2003 released the text of roadmap to a permanent solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The roadmap specifies the steps for the two parties to take to reach a settlement and a timeline for doing so under the auspices of the Quartet, the United States, the European Union, the United Nations, and Russia. So I would like to highlight a couple things for you, which includes the following is a performance-based and goal-driven roadmap with clear phases, timelines, target dates, and benchmarks aiming at progress through the reciprocal steps by the two parties in the political security economic, humanitarian, and institution building fields under the auspices of the Quartet. That is the United States, the European Union, United Nations, and Russia. The destination is a final and comprehensive settlement of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict by 2005. They didn't meet the date. As presented in President Bush's speech of the 24th of June. The two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict will only be achieved through an end to violence and terrorism when the Palestinian people have leadership actively decide against terror and willing and able to build a practicing democracy based upon tolerance and liberty and through Israel's readiness to do what is necessary for a democratic Palestinian state to be established and a clear and ambiguous acceptance by both parties of the goal of a negotiated settlement as described below. A settlement negotiated between the parties will result in the emergence of an independent democratic and viable Palestinian state living side by side in peace and security with Israel and its neighbors. The settlement will resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and end the occupation that began in 67. You know what the end of the occupation is? A return to the to the 67 borders based upon the foundation of the Madrid Conference, the principle of land for peace, UN Security Council resolutions 242, 338, and 1397. So the roadmap affirms UN resolution 242, 338, and 1397. 1397 was the resolution that mandates the creation of a Palestinian state. Therefore, the Israeli government has has. has already agreed to a Palestinian state, already agreed to the 67 borders, they just have a dilemma in how they're going to uproot all the Jews who are living in the West Bank and East Jerusalem from their homes and politically be able to do it. That's the hard part. But they've already agreed to a Palestinian state based upon the 67 borders. Now, I would like to read to you an article written by Zbigniew Brzezinski, who was the Secretary of State under the Carter administration. And the reason why I'm reading this to you is because he states what he says has been the policy of the United States since 1967 regarding how the United States government, both Democrat and Republican, view the conflict in the Middle East. And what he is going to say and what I'm going to show and read to you is that it's been the position of the United States government that the solution in the Middle East would always be two states, Jerusalem being an international city, based upon the 1949 armistice lines or the pre-67 borders. Now how long have you known that our government had that position? They haven't told you. Now in the negotiations that's been made clear, but they haven't told the public. You know why? Because if they make that known to the public since 80% of Jews vote Democratic and there was during this period Democratic presidents then it would hurt the Democratic Party so therefore they made it known in the documents in the signing of the documents in negotiations but they're going to keep it from the American people because they know that the American people aren't ready to accept it so they're trying to get it implemented through what it looks like negotiations between the parties themselves but what the parties are to agree to has been mandated to them and the parties have already agreed to what the end result will be. So let's see what Brzezinski explains. The statement that President Bush delivered at the conclusion of his recent meeting with the Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas deserves serious attention. It has been discussed by the Israeli press but drew scant commentary in the US media. The President in his formal presentation declared that any final status agreement between Palestinians and Israelis must be reached between the two parties and changes to the 49 armistice lines must be be mutually agreed to. He knows that the Arabs won't agree to that. So therefore that's a way of saying that the agreement will be based upon the 49 lines. The United States government position is all the settlers in Judea, Samaria must leave their homes. In Gaza, must leave their homes. In East Jerusalem, must leave their homes. Lest there be any misunderstanding, the President said that Israel should not undertake any activity that contravenes roadmap obligations or prejudices final status negotiations with regard to Gaza, the West Bank, and Jerusalem. A viable two-state solution. Viable means you can't have a little land here and then Jews living here and then more land here and Jews living here. Viable, continuous, no Jews. A viable two-state solution must ensure contiguity of the West Bank and a state of scattered territories will not work. There must also be meaningful linkages between the West Bank and Gaza. This is the position of the United States today. It is the position of the United States at the time of final status negotiations. Bush's declaration was a significant and helpful restatement of some. Some long-held American positions. If these principles are actively embedded in Washington's policies over the months ahead, they could further help further the President's stated goals of resolving the long-running Israeli-Palestinian conflict, promoting democracy in the Middle East and undercutting support for Islamic terrorism. Notice they see that Islamic terrorism will go away if we create a PLO state. That is exactly what has been presented to President Bush by James Baker and his people today years ago this month, Israeli forces occupied the Sinai Peninsula West Bank including East Jerusalem and Gaza in the Syrian Golan Heights. At the time and without much discussion, President Lyndon B. Johnson made the decision that Israel should be allowed to hold on to the captured Arab territories until the Arabs were ready to make peace with Israel and offer recognition and security. This land for peace principle was later embodied in UN Resolution 242 and ever since has formed the touchstone for all considerations of Arab-Israeli peace. Johnson, while very supportive of Israel, went on record as saying that the future borders of Israel should not reflect the weight of conquest, meaning Israel can't have any of the territories that it gained through the 67 War, and that any adjustments to the borders that prevailed before June 67 should be small and mutually agreed to, which the Arab world will not agree to. Since those foundational statements on the territorial aspect of peace settlements, U.S. policy under successive presidents did not change change in any significant way until last year. Then in a letter to Ariel Sharon in April of 2004, Bush seemed to accept Sharon's government position that new facts on the ground, namely Israeli settlements in the West Bank, made it unrealistic to think that Israel should ever withdraw to the old armistice lines of 49. He said then that it is unrealistic to expect that the outcome of final status negotiations will be a full and complete return to the armistice lines of 49. The reason why Bush said this was to give political cover to Sharon. Then when Mahmoud Abbas comes to the White House, Bush retracts that statement is what Brzezinski is going to explain. The Bush also stated that the Palestinian refugees should not expect to return to Israel proper as part of any peace settlement. The Bush letter was widely seen as a triumph for Sharon. For the first time, an American president had openly sided with the current Israeli view that the passage of time and new realities obviated Israel's obligations to withdraw more or less to the 67 lines, essentially the same as the 49 armistice lines, in return for peace, recognition, and security. The president's recent elaboration of U.S. policy is essentially a reaffirmation of the traditional American view that the 1949 lines should be the starting point for any discussion of border changes and that changes in them cannot be one-sided. In other words, the Arabs have to agree to it. Much like his predecessors, the President also said last month that Israel must continue to take steps toward a peaceful future and work with the Palestinian leadership to improve the daily lives of Palestinians, especially their humanitarian situation. So, the prophecy ends Zechariah in chapter 9 verse 13 is that the sons of Zion will oppose the sons of Greece. And this rebellion takes us back to the historical events that happened in the book of Daniel. And we're going to have a replay of these events because the present Israeli government is seeking to be like the nations of the world. They are agreeing to the UN resolutions rather than standing for the covenant that was made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just like the Jews in those times, embraced Greek Hellenism, but the Maccabees said, whoever's for the covenant then let them stand with us and with the God of Israel. So, prophetically, there's going to be from this PLO state and from the nation of Israel seeking to be like the nations of the world making agreements according to the world institutions it will result in a Zionist rebellion and this Zionist rebellion will be biblical Zionists, that is Ephraim and Judah standing for Torah, biblical Zionists standing for the land of Israel. It will ultimately result in the God of Israel fighting with Zion against the nations of the world. It will result in the end of the exile of the house of Jacob. The miracles that the God of Israel will perform for Zion will surpass the miracles that was done to Egypt in the historical Egyptian redemption and it will result in the coming of King Messiah and the Messianic era. Let me read to you a couple of scriptures that tell us that the future in gathering will exceed that which happened in historical Egypt in Micah chapter 7 and verses 14 and 15 it says feed your people with the rod the flock of your heritage which dwell solitarily in the wood in the midst of Carmel let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old let them live in Bashan and Gilead as they did in the days of old according to the days of your coming out of the land of Egypt according to those days will I future show unto him marvelous things how will it happen according According to those days will I and then we're told in Hosea in chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15 therefore behold I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her and I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor for a door of hope you know what Achor in Hebrew means trouble or troubling so this says the valley of trouble what comes to your mind valley of trouble Jacob's trouble the valley of trouble is a door of hope you know I was never taught in traditional christianity that the tribulation is my door of hope i want to escape the tribulation is what i was taught but we're being told here that the valley of trouble is a door of hope why because she will sing there as in the days of her youth as in the day when she came up out of the land of egypt she will sing like she did sing and where is that singing specifically mentioned exodus in chapter 15 the song of moses if we go to exodus in chapter 15 It says this, Exodus chapter 15, verse one. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing. You know what they sang? I will sing. They sang, I will sing. Referring to a future song that's like that one. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. Then it says, verse six. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand has dashed in pieces the enemy. Who's the right hand? Yeshua, Jesus. So he's the one that dashed in pieces the enemy. That's why he's got to fight as he fought in the day of battle. Where do we see this in the New Testament? It's Revelation in chapter 15 and verse 3 which says they sing the song of Moses that's Exodus 15 and the song of the Lamb that is the Messiah saying great and marvelous are your works Lord God Almighty just and true are your ways thou king of saints. That's quoting from Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11. And So we see that there's a future singing like there was a singing of old. Zion is a nation that is born in one day. Isaiah 66, verse 8 and verse 14. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And when you see this, when you see the travail of Zion, when does Zion travail? During the tribulation. When you see this, when you see the birth of the state of Zion, your bones shall flourish like a herb, and the hand of the Lord will be known to his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. When you see the birth of the state of Zion, you have judgment upon the nations. The hand of the Lord will be known to his servants, his indignation toward his enemies. Indignation toward his enemies, judgment of the nations. His hand will be known upon his servants. He will redeem his people with signs, wonders, and miracles. What do I believe is going to be that physical state of Zion that will be declared? The exact land that will be given over to a PLO state in the mountains of Judea and Samaria or the mountains of Israel. The redemption of Zion is likened unto laughter. Well, that's going to conclude part 11 of the series on the subject Hebraic Bible prophecy. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.